If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. And uh, as you're turning to Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. This is a fun little story here, but I think if we look at it closely, it teaches us some very important things. There are many things today uh, that use rechargeable batteries. I think most popular are cell phones. We all have those cell phones and, you know, cordless drills and, you know, shavers and all kinds of things have rechargeable batteries. And uh, you know how it is. When you first get them and you charge them once, it's like, man, this thing's lasting for days. You know, it just, it just works great. And, and then after you keep using it, it kind of works for two days and then one day. And then pretty soon you have to charge it multiple times a day. And then eventually it's like, like you seem to be charging more than using. And at that time, uh, it's time to get something new because it's just not working properly. And uh, it kind of is how the Christian life can be if we aren't careful. Uh, when, when we first come to Christ, I don't know if you remember how that is, especially if you came later in life, you, you probably uh, remember this, just how exciting it was. It's it's just amazing. It's like, how come everybody isn't a Christian? It's like, how come they don't understand? How come they haven't woke up to the fact of how amazing it is to be a Christian? And you go to all your non-Christian buddies that you've had for years and years, you go, man, look at what's in the Bible. They're, they're looking at you like, what happened to you? And they don't understand. And you, you learn things in the Bible for the first time. Like, did you know that Jesus was God? And it's just incredible to you. Everything's incredible. You just want to go to church. You want to live at church. You want to rebuke the pastor because how come you don't preach more sermons? You know, you're just, you're, you're just, you're just wound up because everything's so amazing. And you think about God all day long. You just can't quit. You talk with God all day long. You just praise him and thank him and you're confessing. And you think about church and you think about your Bible. And you're so excited early on. But sometimes that zeal that you have, that passion that you once had, that um, incredible, amazing awesomeness that you once had can begin to wane over time and start to fade. The knowledge maybe of your sin as you study the Bible, as you hear God's word preached, begins to kind of burden you, maybe. The familiarity with things once new, uh, persecution, the fear of man, the rejection by friends and family, uh, being passed over in your workplace can begin to maybe squelch your passion for God. And as you grow in the knowledge of God's word, maybe you become a little bit overwhelmed, actually. Uh, There are so many things in the Bible to do and so many things not to do. And maybe at times you're just tempted to throw up your hands and just say, man, I I just can't do this anymore. It's just like... I don't, know, I don't know how to do this. I cannot obey everything. I am such a loser. I am just, I am so inadequate. I am such a sinner. And you kind of feel like Christian in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress when he had that huge burden on his back that he couldn't get off. You know, you're just, you feel kind of crushed by, you want to serve more. You want to pray more. You want to read the Bible more. You want to give more. You want to be like a better everything, but you're not. 
and your joy is maybe eclipsed by sorrow. And the fires of zeal that once burned hotly within you are kind of uh, doused by what seems to be this losing battle. Your batteries are draining. And you're kind of conking out. And even though you get encouragement from the Apostle Paul when he said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and I do the very things I hate, and even though you like that verse, <laughs> it's like at least Paul was kind of understood this. Something maybe is missing. Your, your, your kind of your resilience to sin, your your passions. There's something wrong. I don't know if you've ever felt like, felt like this. Uh, you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you feel have felt this, and maybe you're feeling that right now this morning. Maybe your your walk with the Lord has become a little bit mechanical. And, and the relationship, the passion, the zeal, the love that once was there is not there. And if that is you, I have some great news for you because our text this morning is really going to help us address these issues. You, you only really need one thing to keep your spiritual batteries charged up. You don't need an entire law system. You don't need this 50-point system. There's just one thing to keep your spiritual batteries charged up. And it is in the text before us. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, is this little story about Mary and Martha and Jesus. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, I can't even give you much. Um, Earlier in the chapter, he sends out the 70 to do some pre-evangelism. He sends them out with the power to heal, to cast out demons, and to preach the gospel. And he's going to come behind them and give these cities a second shot. So they're kind of the pre-evangelism team. And they come back rejoicing. And then right after that, we have this story. But Um, the text doesn't really give us any context. Luke just inserts it here. And so I can't really tell you anything because Luke doesn't tell us anything. We know for sure where this is, the story occurs. If you were to be on the ridge that is Jerusalem where the Temple Mount is, and you would look east, you would see the, the, um, uh, the Kidron Valley would go down, and then there's a higher mountain, a little bit higher than Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. And if you go over the top of the Mount of Olives, about two-thirds down on the other side is this little uh, town called Bethany. And that's where um, this story takes place because that is where uh, Mary and Martha and remember their brother, Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, lived. And so this is what we learn. So look in your Bibles at Luke 10, verse 38, and please follow along as I read. The text says, Now as they, that's Jesus and the disciples, were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Pray with me, and then let's look at this great text. Father, we come before you now, um, praising you, thanking you for your word. 
or your Holy Spirit, which makes it living and active, um, sharper, piercing, and able to judge. Father, we pray that it would work on all of our hearts, that it would encourage us, convict us, exhort us, rebuke us, expose us to the truth, that we might be conformed more to the image of Christ, that we might learn what you have for us here, and in learning that, we would be faithful to apply it, and that our lives would be changed. Father, we also want to just recognize that uh, on this day, some 15 years ago, uh, terrorists attacked our country. And Father, though it's been happening before that and after that, they were very successful that day. And several thousand people died. And many were very traumatized. And yet, Father, there is comfort knowing that you are sovereign over it all. You have a purpose of it for it all. As the psalmist says, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Lord, you know the end from the beginning. And when men don't heed your word, you often use circumstances to get their attention. And you got our attention. And then we cried out that you would bless us. But Father, may our country bless you. May we bless you by obeying your word, by worshiping in spirit and truth. We pray for revival. We pray for a massive revival, that millions would be saved, that the tides of evil would be turned back, that Christ would be exalted, that, Father, you would help our nation, for we are doing everything we can to reject you. And, Father, we just ask that you would show mercy on us, extend grace to us, and Father, may your Holy Spirit move in the lives of many, and may this church be one of many little epicenters of revival um, in its community. May you bless Pastor John and his preaching, his shepherding, and may everyone here um, have a passion for both living and speaking the truth in a very dark world that needs you desperately. We pray now that as we look at your word that you would help us to receive it and plant it, which is not only able to save our souls, but, Father, that performs its work in those who believe. Father, we ask you to bless us as we hear what you have for us here so that we can glorify you all the more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, from our text, what I want to do is just extract two warnings which, if heeded, will help you keep your spiritual batteries charged up so you'll be motivated in your walk with the Lord. First, don't let the busyness of ministry distract you from the Lord. Look at verses 38 and 39. Notice what the text says there. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary. And again, we learn from John chapter 11 and 12 that uh, Martha, her sister Mary, and brother Lazarus lived in Bethany. Martha was most likely the older sister and the woman of the house. And keep in mind that in uh, the Bible, um, you know, it, it often, um, Jesus would travel, and it doesn't often talk to us about, it, we kind of have in this mind that maybe Jesus is walking, and he's got the 12 disciples, like little ducklings, falling behind him. It, there's more than that happening here. Jesus often traveled with a large group. 
There's the apostles, there's their wives, their children, other disciples. And, and imagine, you know, you're, you have a humble little house in this little village called Bethany, and uh, all of a sudden Jesus, you know, Lord God, created in the heavens of the earth, Messiah, miracle worker, super popular guy in the whole country, shows up with this entourage of people. And um, that would be a little bit of uh, pressure, wouldn't it? Like, oh no, um, he's come to our house. Look at the middle of verse 39, and we learned that Mary was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. So Jesus is teaching. He is uh, in the normal uh, form of a rabbi. He is teaching, and uh, the students would sit down, uh, the rabbi would sit down, and they would basically have dialogue through question and answer. Uh, the Greek indicates that Mary was seated right in front of Jesus, and this is significant because uh, the Jewish rabbis normally never had woman, women disciples. But here, Mary is being discipled by the Lord. Jesus had quite a few other women disciples too. And to be a disciple, a learner, uh, there, there was actually a, a synonym for it, and that was to sit at the feet of somebody. So, for instance, uh, the Apostle Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That is, he was a disciple of Gamaliel. And uh, so here, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet as a disciple. And though the rabbis didn't do this, uh, you know, they didn't let women be their disciples, Luke tells us, for instance, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it mentions some women, Mary, who is called uh, Magdalene, John Anna, Susanna, and many others. These are just the women only who are following Jesus. We know from other parts that the apostles, like Peter, you know, doesn't Peter have a right to take along a believing wife and uh, his children? And so the disciples are traveling with Jesus with their whole families and a bunch of women and a bunch of men. And though they aren't mentioned in the uh, gospels very, very often, they're mentioned enough to know that when Jesus traveled, he had a group with them, a pretty big group. Maybe a hundred people, maybe a couple hundred people, though some of them may have dispersed at times and the group may have been smaller, you know, at minimum, there's at least Jesus and the 12, but probably quite a bit more than that. So uh, look at verse 40. So Martha, it says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And you just stop there and think about this. Notice the, the beginning of verse 40 says, but... Uh, that word is a contrast word, and it's contrasting now what Mary is doing and what Martha is doing. There, there's a, quite a bit of contrast going on here. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, but Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. The word distracted means to be pulled away from, drawn away from something. Martha is being pulled away drawn away from what Mary is doing because she's making preparations for all these people who have showed up to her house, really the most significant of persons who could ever show up to your house, and she feels the pressure of giving Jesus the very best. Whether she, you know, she knew Jesus was the creator of the universe or not, she surely knew that he was a miracle worker, a prophet. Thousands were following him. John the Baptist had preceded him. And so she probably knew enough to know that this guy is a major player uh, in the religious realms. So huge crowds had been following him. Jesus was this natural 
celebrity. And so you can understand why Martha, the woman of the house, wants to give Jesus her very best. I think we would all do the same, right? If you knew your favorite preacher or some famous person was coming, they were going to be at your house, you'd be like, oh, let's clean up. Let's make our best meal. Let's, you know, go for it and really, you know, roll out the red carpet, so to speak, in order to treat them. But keep in mind, um, there's this group, there's this pressure, and so there's major preparations to be made. And Martha seems to be the typical type A person. She's uh, got plans. She's in attack mode. She's going for it. She's, you know, uh, if you were to be there, and maybe the house has an open area, we don't really know. But, you know, she's in the back. I mean, she's just like running back and forth, just going for it. Meanwhile, her sister Mary is sitting down at Jesus's feet, relaxed, calm, listening, asking questions. And Martha is irritated because she is killing herself to serve Jesus. And Mary is just chilling. And it, it's building within Martha. She's exasperated to the point of anger because her sister won't help. Now, I don't know if you've ever known anybody like Martha, but you know, this can happen in ministry, can it? You know, you come up, okay, you know, we're going to church, we're going to set up, we're going to clean, we're going to do this project, and you're the only one who shows up. And so while you're serving the Lord, you're like, I'm doing it, I'm taking care of this thing. Where are all those other losers who won't come to church and you're sweeping or whatever? You know, you're, you're irritated because you want other people to help too. You're kind of stressed out serving the Lord. Look at the middle of verse 40. And she, that is Martha, came up to him, that's Jesus, and said. Now, if you look at this word, came up to him, as the NAS has it, the Greek here might be translated, she burst in upon and interrupted. Remember, Jesus is having a formal teaching session with his disciples. He's having a session, and you don't interrupt the rabbi when he's teaching, but she burst in, burst upon, came up to Jesus, interrupted Jesus' teaching session, and that was bad. That's not good. It wasn't polite. It was rude. It was wrong. But it gets a lot worse. Look at the middle of verse 40. Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Eek. This is right up there with Peter's rebuke of Jesus, maybe worse. Martha is accusing Jesus, the one who left his heavenly throne to come down to earth, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, of being uncaring, of failing to do what is right in front of all the disciples. 
So she's not only burst in upon his teaching session, she's accusing Jesus of being in sin, of doing what is wrong. She's rebuking the Lord of glory. I think one ancient manuscript reads, at that time the disciples moved away from Martha thinking that lightning might you know, come down from heaven. I mean, it doesn't really, but you know, I'm sure they're all mouth open. You know, first she interrupts, and then, don't you care? You know, it's just like, what? What? Martha is interrupted, which is bad. She's accused Jesus of doing evil, which is worse. She's accused him in front of the other disciples, which is worse still. And if that group of blunders wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. Look at the end of verse 40. Then Martha commands the Lord. Then tell her to help me. Now, in the Greek, you have several different kinds of commands. This is the strongest form of command in the Greek language, an aorist active imperative. I command you to command my sister to help me. Whoa. Say law. Pause and meditate on that one. I mean, this is insane. She's, she's lost it in front of everybody. And do you see what's happening here? Don't miss what's happening here. Martha was so anxious and bothered about her service to the Lord and others that she was sinning in an effort to do good. She was trying to minister to others, but her heart wasn't right with the Lord. She was in the flesh. She was sinning. Martha was like many Christians today. She was neglecting something, something critically important. Her batteries conked out and her spiritual life wasn't working she was missing the one thing that makes everything else in life fall into place Martha was trusting herself she was trusting in her strength her plan her desire to serve Jesus didn't tell her to make dinner. I mean, this was Jesus who fed thousands. Jesus can just say dinner and it shows up. This was Martha's self-inflicted trauma that she brought upon herself. Jesus didn't need anyone to feed him. He was a miracle worker. But here's the lesson to learn. What happened to Martha can happen to any one of us. You know, we've got this ministry we've got, we want to do right. We've, we've got good goals, good intentions. We want to obey the scriptures, but we're so wound up because of what other people aren't doing that we actually start grumbling and complaining. We get bitter, we get anxious, we get stressed out, and then we're sinning while we're trying to do good. We, we let the busyness of ministry distract us from the Lord that we're supposed to be serving. 
Jeremiah 17 verses 5 and 6 says this. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in a stony waste, a wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. That's where Martha is living right now. Spiritual desert, land of salt. Her batteries are dead. She's running on fleshly power. She's lost her joy, lost her zeal, lost her love, lost her discernment because she lost her priorities. She's busy doing things for the Lord, but she's sinning in the process. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever known anybody like that? Sometimes I get so busy, so task-oriented, I find myself trusting me. You ever find that out? You know, I even trust myself when I'm doing good things, like sermon prep. You know, you, you just, okay, I go in there, I sit down my thing, and all of a sudden I get this little call, I talk to somebody, I start looking at emails while I'm talking to them on the phone, oh man, I gotta get back to these, I answer some emails, and I open there, I get my template out, I get my sermon notes, I'm starting to work, I'm working on it, all of a sudden it dawns on me, hey, knucklehead. Maybe you should ask God to help you prepare your sermon since it is a spiritual task. Since we're supposed to be asking God to help us do everything, maybe I should be praying a little bit. It doesn't matter if you're at work, if you're making dinner, if you're driving your car, you need to bring the Lord. You need to ask the Lord. You need to Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him so that he will make your path straight, right? Sometimes you can get so busy doing ministry, you forget the Lord who is your master, your king, the one who keeps your batteries charged through his Holy Spirit. You become irritated maybe when you're doing some ministry because you have taken your eyes off of Jesus and you have put them on men. And soon you're kind of just trudging through the swamp of despair and anger and misery, waiting in the muck of your own fleshly efforts. You become bitter and griping and complaining and you don't even see it. You don't even see it. A lot of times you're totally blind to it. Why don't those people get their acts together? You're thinking to yourself. And you begin to resent others because they aren't like you. If everyone could be anxious, worried, fretting, not trusting the Lord and leaning on their own flesh like me, things would get done around here. I mean, that's the translation of it. And maybe that is where you're at right now. Maybe you're kind of spiritually pouting. Lord, tell my brother and sisters to help me. You know, the pebbles need helpers. And here I am. And I never get to go hear the sermon because I'm over there on the other side of the brick wall. And maybe you're burnt out because others haven't um, met up to your expectations. And maybe you have quit serving altogether. Because hey, I'm, just, I'm done with it. 
I'm done with it. Because your eyes are on men, your eyes are, have expectations of men, and they should be on the Lord and his worthiness to be served and to receive all glory, all honor, and all praise. But you've put them on men, and men always disappoint you. And when you're trusting in yourself, ministry quickly becomes a burden, joy fades, you slow down like a bad battery, you stop working. And it's at times like this that sins, which maybe for a time were suppressed, begin to sprout up in your life like summer weeds again. They grow stronger. They start taking over. It depresses you considerably, but you can't get the victory over them. You can't find strength that you once had to do battle. Your battery is running down. You're spiritually conking out. And it seems like every day you're becoming less like Jesus rather than more like Jesus. And your sins, your bad attitudes lead you into this dark jungle of kind of depression and despair. Uh, and you just can't seem to hack your way through it all. And maybe you begin to doubt your salvation. I wonder if I'm even saved. No, I used to be saved. Well, surely I'm still saved, you say to yourself. You know something is, is wrong, but you just don't know what it is. You can't figure out, like, what is the root problem here? What should I do? How, how can I escape? How can I retrieve the joy of my salvation now that it's been lost? And thankfully, Jesus tells us. Which brings us to our second point. Don't neglect the one thing necessary. Look at verse 41. Remember, Martha has just barged in accused Jesus of not caring, and then commanded Jesus to do her will. Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Jesus uses a double name when he really wants to make an impression. Do you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, where he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Or Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You don't want Jesus saying your name twice. It's not good. Surely Martha wanted to listen to Jesus. I bet if you asked her, Martha, would you like to be sitting down like Mary at Jesus' feet? She'd say, yeah. But now's not the time. She had things she wanted to do. She had to prepare dinner for all those people. The pressures of her culture, the popularity of her guests, her desire to please the Lord and serve others led her to neglect something. The most critical thing. Verse 42, look there. But only one thing is necessary. The NIV has only one thing is needed. This is amazing. This is an amazing statement here. Think of all the commands in the Bible. All of them. Only one thing is necessary. I mean, serving Jesus is good, serving others is good, being hospitable is good. And we're commanded to do those things by the Lord in the Bible, yes. But Jesus says only one thing is necessary. That is such a radical statement. It's such a freeing statement because it distills everything down into just something that's simple and easy to understand. 
And I don't know about you, but it makes me think this. What about all the other commands in the Bible? What about all the other things Jesus says to do and not do? How can there only be one thing when it comes to the Christian life? To having your spiritual battery stay charged. Is it really that simple? Is this the silver bullet for joy in the Christian life? You just look at it there in verse 42. One thing is necessary. There's a necessary one thing for the Christian life. And then look at the middle of verse 42, where Jesus says, for Mary has chosen the good or better part, which shall not be taken away from her. In other words, Mary is doing what is right. You are doing what is wrong. Because Mary is doing what is right, I'm not going to command her to neglect the one necessary thing. What was Mary doing? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Listening to Jesus teach her. Allowing Jesus to serve her. Do you see how amazing this is? Like many things in the Bible, it's totally opposite of what the world tells us. You would think that the key to being spiritually motivated is to work harder at doing things for the Lord. No. The key to being spiritually motivated is to work harder at letting the Lord serve you, minister to you, charge your spiritual batteries up so that you can go do whatever you're going to do for the Lord. If you want to maintain a passion, a zeal, a motivation to serve the Lord, you must sit at Jesus' feet every day and let Jesus serve you. You must listen to him speak to you in his word. You must talk to him in prayer, casting all your cares upon him so that he can take them from you. You need to ask Jesus to help you, to serve you, so you can do what he wants. That is the one thing necessary. We describe it as having a quiet time or spending time with the Lord. It's when you sit at Jesus' feet and allow him to minister to you, to serve you, to shepherd your soul through the reading of the word, the study of the word, the meditation of the word, through praying through the word. We sit at his feet. He helps us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. And once you learn the discipline of sitting at Jesus' feet, praying to him, letting him speak to you through his word, everything in your life falls into place. Everything in your life falls into place. You might be wondering, could it be that simple? Yes, it is. One necessary thing. Your walk with the Lord will slowly grow cold. Your spiritual battery will die and shrivel up like a raisin if you neglect to spend time with the Lord and let him serve you. And you can be the busiest person at the church of St. Martha. But if you're not connected with Jesus, 
If he's not charging your battery soon, you're going to conk out. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be angry. You're going to be burnt out, and you're going to quit. And don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't condemning every other thing taught on the word of God. He's not saying that. He's not saying, yeah, you know, you can just veg out as long as you have a quiet time. You know, let go and let God levitate you off your easy chair and whatever. What he is saying is that spending time with him, maintaining your relationship with him, allowing him to serve and minister to you first is the key to spiritual vitality in everything else in the Christian life. Surely you have experienced this. Surely you have, you know, maybe at the beginning of the year, I'm going to work really hard. I have my quiet times. I'm going to get up. I'm going to spend time reading and get your cup of coffee. And maybe you read through a, a devotion or two and you read a passage and you're praying through it and you talk to the Lord about it and you're meditating, you're going through your prayer journal or whatever, and you do that. And the rest of the day, you're thinking about the Lord, you're praising God, you're, you're kind of just, you just like, things go better. And as long as you're doing that, things are good. But then what happens sometimes is you start neglecting that and I'm really busy and I stayed up too late and I can't get up and I'm not having my quiet times. And then what happens? Your batteries wear out. Then your joy fades. Your spiritual discernment decreases. Your resistance against temptation decreases. J. Vern McGee gives us this sound device, quote, sit at Jesus' feet, look in his word and see what he has to say. It will help you with your housework. It will make you a better dishwasher. It will help you sweep the floors cleaner. You will dig a better dish, mow a better lawn, study your lesson better. Your work at the office will be easier and you will be able to drive your car better. Just take time to sit at Jesus' feet, end quote. Warren Wiersbe in his Bible exposition commentary says, quote, often in my pastoral ministries, I've asked people with serious problems, tell me about your devotional life. The usual response has been an embarrassed look, a bowed head, a, a quiet confession, and I stopped reading my Bible and praying a long time ago. And they wonder why they're having spiritual problems, end quote. I believe very few people would have debilitating spiritual struggles and problems if they realized that everything in their spiritual walk flows from letting Jesus serve them on a daily basis. Every pastor finds the same thing to be true that Wiersbe just described. There is a clear connection between people who neglect the one thing necessary and those who have little or no spiritual motivation, discernment, or resistance against temptation. But there's this, there's, I've never had anybody come in my office and say, hey, um, you know, I, I'm struggling with this major sin. And I've said, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been take, having regular devotions? And they go, oh yeah, I do that every day. Never had it happened ever in almost 30 years of ministry. Ever. Why? Because people who sit at Jesus' feet, Jesus, Jesus strengthens them, helps them, and gives them spiritual orientation for everything else they do in their life. Jesus is the battery charger for your soul, and you need to get plugged in. I mean, you remember to charge your cell phone, don't you? Every day. Or we'll remember to charge up your soul every day. You want to run hard for Jesus? Then let him charge you up all the way every day. Let him serve you and shepherd you and minister to you. Everything that makes serving and worshiping God wonderful, rich, and exciting will fade if you neglect to sit at Jesus' feet. 
Wearsby says, quote, few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. The most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha, busy but not blessed, end quote. It is the simplest thing to understand, but it's the thing that you're going to have to struggle to do. Why? Because Satan knows. There's two things Satan doesn't want you to do more than any other thing. Read the Bible and pray. You, do, have you ever noticed you never like have to struggle watching TV? Like, oh man, I'm trying to watch TV here. I'm trying to like really stay focused or surf the internet. Like, man, if I could just like stay tuned into my computer screen and just mindlessly surf and, you know, scroll up through my Facebook posts or, you know, it's like, how come there's no resistance doing those things? But as soon as you want to read your Bible, as soon as you want to pray, it's like you think of everything else, of doing anything else, of postponing, of waiting. Oh, I got to get the pot. Did I put the pot roast in? Did I remember to turn the, you know? I mean, you're just, you know, I need to get the oil change in my car. I mean, there's just a million things happen to you as soon as you start doing spiritual things. Why? Because Satan and his demons are after you to not do the one necessary thing. That is the spiritual warfare that's going on. And that's why it's hard, though very simple to understand. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon titled, Taking Hold Upon God, affirms this when he says, quote, when there is a degeneracy in, of public manners, the way you live your life, you may be sure that there is, has also occurred a serious decline of secret devotion. When the outward service of the church begins to flag and her holiness declines, you may be sure that her communion with God has been sadly suspended. Devotion to God will be found to be the basis of holiness and the buttress of integrity. If you backslide in secret before God, you will soon err in public before men. You may judge yourselves, my dear hearers, as to your spiritual state by the condition of your hearts in the matter of prayer. How, you, how are you at the mercy seat? For that is what you really are. Are the consolations of God small with you? That is a minor matter. Look deeper. There is, there is a restraining of prayer before the living God. Do you find yourself weak in the presence of temptation? That is, a, is important, but search below the surface and you will find that you have grown lax in supplication and have failed to keep up continual communion with God, end quote. The great Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane said succinctly, what a man is on his knees before God in secret is what he is and nothing more. And that is absolutely true. That is it. What we are with Jesus in private devotions is what we become in reality. A strong devotional life produces a strong walk with the Lord. A weak devotional life produces a weak walk with the Lord. It's that simple. It's that simple. Our text never records a single word from the mouth of Mary. Notice that. Mary never says anything. She's just like sitting there asking questions and Martha comes in, you know, barges in, accuses Jesus of sinning, uh, commands Jesus what to do. Martha never says a word, but you can see, you can learn things just by what we know of her from the text, right? Here's some things you can get from her. One, she's captured by devotion to Jesus. And the question is, is that you? 
She delighted in Jesus. She wanted Jesus to teach her, serve her, minister to her. Does that describe you? Secondly, she had a love for Jesus that made her spending time with him the ultimate priority of her life. Nothing would take her away from sitting at his feet. Have you gotten to that place in your life where you just say, I don't care how late I stayed up. I don't care how many times my two-year-old woke me up in the middle of the night. I'm getting up and I'm spending time with the Lord. I have resolved to do this. I must do this. Third, she didn't bend to cultural peer pressure, which said she should be in the kitchen cooking. And fourth, she didn't cave in to her sister's expectations, who was pressuring her to leave Jesus to cook food. She stood up against all of those distractions because she understood the one thing necessary was to sit at Jesus' feet and let Jesus minister to her soul. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you are like major convicted. Um, Maybe your spiritual life is falling apart. Maybe your spiritual batteries are dead or dying. And you think back to last week, last month, the last six months, and you realize, man, I'm not sitting at Jesus' feet. I mean, it's so hit and miss. It's so sporadic. Let me tell you what you can do. First, Make sure you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone to save you, you're not going to like the Bible. It's just going to make you feel bad. You're not going to be able to understand the Bible because you won't have the Holy Spirit in you to help you understand the things of God because they are spiritually appraised. You're going to just find it ever difficult to try and, and, and have these devotion things that Christians do, though you may call yourself a Christian, and you, you talk to people at church, and they say things like this. They come up to you, and you start talking. And go, oh, man, check this passage out. I was having my devotions this week, man. Look at this. And you're thinking, are they faking it? I... Are they really excited about that? And you're reading it. That doesn't seem very exciting to me. And they're going, oh man, this so blessed my soul. I was so encouraged by this. And I'm going to try and memorize this. This is so great. And you're just like, are these people faking it? Most likely you're faking it. Because you don't know Jesus. You know about Jesus. You know he is the Savior. You may be able to know that he died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day, and that you need to believe in Jesus. And maybe you have an intellectual belief in Jesus, like the demons who believe those things about Jesus too, but you've never trusted in Christ alone to save you. You've never been born again. You've never been transformed by his grace into a new creature in Christ. And so if that's you... Do that now. Don't wait. wait. Just do it now, right now. Just sit in your seat and say, Lord, I, save me. I am a sinner. I know I deserve to be judged. I know I don't love you, but I want to you know, help my unbelief and cry out to him, and he will never disappoint you. He will never turn away a cry like that. Second, if you are a Christian and you have been born again and you've have or are neglecting the one thing necessary, confess your sins to God. God knows about it. 
He knows you're going to sin. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says if we are, this is a paraphrase with all the, the verbs there, if we are constantly in the process of confessing our sins, he is constantly in the process of forgiving us our sins and constantly in the process of cleansing us from all unrighteousness. They're all present active verbs there. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I want to show you this neat little verse here, which a lot of you probably know about, but it's fun to look at in light of the text that we've just looked at. Uh, This is uh, Jesus writing his letter to the church of Ephesus. And this church is great. I mean, this church has a lot of great things going for it. But notice what he says here. Starting in verse 1 of Revelation 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. That's Jesus, by the way. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. You found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and you have not grown weary. Like Martha, the Ephesians were very busy serving the Lord and doing good things for the Lord. I mean, when you look at, read through the epistles, you find out that the apostle Paul um, had sent his A-team to Ephesus. I mean, they got Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, Tychicus. I mean, like everybody good went there. They were like doctrinally sound, man. They were going for it. But look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You could put in there, you have neglected the one thing necessary. Then Jesus tells them how to remedy it. Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Look back to your Christian life when you were full of joy, full of zeal, serving, growing, learning. Remember from where you have fallen now that your batteries are pancaked out and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Spend time with the Lord or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. To repent is to have a change of mind that results in a change of life. And third, plan to spend time with the Lord. I don't know about you, how many times has your car accidentally washed itself? Accidentally filled itself up with gas? You know, your dishes accidentally, you know, or laundry accidentally, you know, wash themselves, dried themselves, fold themselves, and put themselves away. You ever find that happening? No. You have to plan to do it. It has to be intentional. Whatever you do, don't leave here this morning saying to yourself, well, Pastor Jack was right. I need to start spending time with the Lord someday. No, no. You leave here and you decide when you are going to spend time with the Lord. Resolve to do it, have a time, commit to it, and then get some friends here and say, I want you to start texting me, and I want you to text me and ask me, did you spend time with the Lord? And I want you to never stop until you die or the Lord comes, or I die, because then I won't be answering back. (laughs) Hold each other accountable. 
call each other, email each other, make it a do or die habit. And I'm telling you, once you get to the place in your Christian life where you just, I just spend time with the Lord. You just say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I, you know, even if I have to go into work at an odd hour or I, I, I do it at lunchtime, I make sure it happens every day. As soon as you get to that place, you're going to find your joy and motivation for ministry returning. You will find increasing strength to battle temptation. Your love of the world will grow cold while your love for Christ will go hot. If you don't know how to have a meaningful, quiet time, then talk to your pastor. Talk to any mature believer. Any mature believer will say, well, not everybody does it the same, and that's good. You know, some people are devotion people, and some people have prayer journals, and some people like to read a little bit from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and some people like to do this chronological system, and someone wants to read this. It doesn't matter. Just ask people. Get to the, help them help you. How do I spend time? How do I pray through the scriptures? How do I have a quiet time? Don't let Satan distract you from doing the most important thing in your life as a believer. Wage war to be with Jesus. Let me just close with an exhortation from J.C. Ryle. This is from his work, Old Paths. I say to all believers, if you want your spiritual life to be more healthy and vigorous, you must come more boldly to the throne of grace. You must give up this hanging back spirit, this hesitation about talking, taking the Lord at his own word. Doubtless you are poor sinners and nothing at all. The Lord knows it and has provided a store of strength for you. But you do not draw upon the store he has provided. You have not because you ask not. The secret of your weakness is your little faith, your little prayer. The fountain is unsealed, but you only sip a few drops. The bread of life is before you, yet you only eat a few crumbs. The treasury of heaven is open, but you only take a few pence. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Matthew 14, 31. Awake! to know your privileges. Awake and sleep no longer. Tell me not of spiritual hunger and thirst and poverty so long as the throne of grace is before you. Say rather that you are proud, that you will not come as a poor beggar, that you would rather be slothful and not take pains to get more. Cast aside the grave clothes of pride which still hang around you. Throw off the Egyptian garment of indolence which ought not to have been brought through the Red Sea. Away with that unbelief which ties and paralyzes your tongue. You are not bound in God, but in yourselves. Come boldly to the throne of grace where the Father is ever waiting to give and Jesus ever sits by him to intercede. Come boldly for you may all, sinful as you are, if you come in the name of the great high priest, come boldly and ask large, uh, largely and you shall have abundant answers, mercy like a river and grace and strength like a mighty stream. Come boldly and you shall have supplies exceeding all that you may ask or think. Before now, you have asked nothing. Ask and receive that your joy may be full. John 16, 24. Don't let the busyness of ministry distract you from the Lord. Don't neglect the one thing necessary. Pray with me. Father, we come before you reminded we all need to hear this. It is so easy to be distracted 
It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a housewife or a student. We can all be deceived because we all are weak. We're sinners. We have sin-cursed hearts. We are easily towed around by the chain of our lusts and our flesh. Satan opposes us. His demons oppose us. The world opposes us. Our busyness opposes us. Our schedule opposes us. Father, I pray for each of us that we would be careful to humbly confess our sins to you if we are neglecting to spend time with you, that we would find that continual forgiveness which is always available in Christ through confession and repentance so that we again turn to our first love, not our second love or tenth love, but make Jesus our first love over sleeping in, over staying up, over our jobs, over our families, but make Jesus our first love that we might spend time in the one thing necessary so that Jesus, our loving Lord and Savior, can work on our sin-sick souls, strengthen us, encourage us, help us so that the rest of our life gives you glory. Help each of us do that, to resolve to do that, to plan to do that. And may we all help each other and encourage each other to those ends. We pray in Jesus' name.